Welcome to the Proceedings Podcast, special edition, West Day 3 wrap-up. Actually, we're back from San Diego, back here in Annapolis. But because of how quickly everything was torn down and, you know, after the town hall, the place was basically... It was a ghost town. It was a ghost town, right? And and everything was scattered. And so we we didn't have an opportunity to do our Day 3 wrap-up. So... uh, we we thought we'd uh, and and then this week has also been uh, messed with the holiday on Monday. For the, those of you in nicer weather areas, we had a snow day yesterday. So just now, are we able to collect our? And it's been death by meetings today as a result <laughs> of all of that. So just now, have we been able to uh, get the uh, podcast team reassembled to uh, get our thoughts together for the West? Day three wrap up. So, Bill, what was first on the agenda on day three was Admiral Grady. Yeah. So the first, the the morning keynote was uh, Admiral Chris Grady, the uh, Fleet Forces Command uh, Commander. He did address uh, a couple of key questions uh, that uh, Pete Daly, our CEO, threw at him, and then there were some good, decent questions that came from the uh, the audience as well. Uh, one of the key takeaways was um, in uh, as the as the fleet is looking at dynamic force employment uh, and distributed maritime operations, doing those things is re- going to require a lot better and uh, you know a sort of new model for logistics, right? So with uh, you know the and, and Admiral Grady talked about hey you know over the last seventeen years we got really good at leaning out the force for preparing and and deploying carrier strike groups uh, to the CENTCOM AOR, getting them over there as fast as possible, sustaining them while they're there, and then getting them back and turning them around into the, you know, into the uh, uh, OFRP. Uh, But if you're going to do what we did with the Truman Strike Group, where they went across the pond, they were uh, over in, in the Mediterranean, they were in Fifth Fleet for a bit, they came back, went back to Norfolk, and they sortied back out. They went up and did uh, Trident Juncture in the North Atlantic uh, for, for, what, six weeks, eight weeks or so. So that is much more uh, dynamic. It's all over the place. And so the logistics that supports that has got to be robust. It's got to be able to react quickly. It's got to be able to put stuff uh, you know, spare parts and, you know, delivering mail, all the, you know, food, all the, you know, those things that aren't all that sexy, but you got to get that to the force wherever they are. And particularly if that, you know, if you can't predict where that force is going to be six or eight months from now, it, it makes it a lot harder on the logistics side. So Albert Grady talked about that a little bit. Uh, for me, that was kind of the, one of the key takeaways, uh, you know, for, uh, for his, his address. Yep. I like that talk about using analytics to kind of get smarter on how to make decisions. You know, we make a lot of anecdotal stuff. We don't we, we don't do good, uh, at least from my experience, really implementing a policy or some kind of procedure or whatever, and then be able to really think about is this actually producing the results we want? So we'll languish for years doing things that are inefficient and ineffective. So I appreciate that, and I appreciate the fact that he carried over and said, "Hey, it's got to apply to what he called the foundry, basically the shipbuilding sector too. They've got to get smart using analytics to be more predictive as well." Right. The fleet. So, yeah. He talked about the fleet and the foundry, right? Yes. The fleet being what we control what what, you know, what the Navy controls and then the foundry being talking to industry, you know, what, what industry is providing both in terms of hardware, uh, but also in terms of support, uh, support services to the fleet, uh, as well. Yeah. 
Yeah, and I think uh, I remember being at a meeting. I think it was Enfosis a few years ago. The Fleet Mass Chiefs and McPon were there. We had uh, one of the executive vice presidents of, I think, General Electric it was, and he was explaining how they're using predictive analytics to not just uh, to be able to predict, you know, maintenance failure ahead of time, and then you can do preventive maintenance before it even fails, um, and how they've gone in and been able to use those kind of things to, uh, you know, on the Boeing line to increase productivity and things like that. So I think it's promising. It'll be interesting how we roll that in because, um, you, as you know, there's frustration in general with, you know, legacy computer IT systems we've got. So you're, you're talking kind of a several generation leap ahead. So we'll yeah. see what they do with it. You, you reminded me you're talking about th- that using predictive analytics to, you know, to decide or determine when a part or when, uh, you know, a machine is likely to fail or most likely to fail. Uh, so I went to, I think it was the Hewlett Packard booth out there and they've, uh, partnered with a couple of smaller companies. I don't think they've acquired them yet, but definitely partnering with them uh, um, on the AI side. And one of the um, demonstrations that they showed was how you can take AI uh, and apply uh, data streams, right? Data analytics uh, for a whole bunch of different uh, inputs. You know, for example, on um, uh, gas turbine engines, yep. right? So that was one of the examples that they used. It, you know, using uh, inputs from the manufacturer, from the fleet, from different ships. Uh, and you can see the AI can crunch that data really quickly to be able to predict um, what the parameters are that are most predictive for failure in that machine. So that was really interesting. And, and the, you know, they were saying, hey, you don't need to buy a lot of AI scientists to do this. This is a, a, a service that we can provide. You tell us what data you want us to look at. We can crunch that data into the machine, and it will give you the four or five most important indicators that the you know that your maintainers on board, yep. you know, a ship that's powered by gas turbines, or you know, you name the machine that you want to look at, and, or an and aviation they can do squadron, so, or aviation yeah. squadron, yep. exactly. It was it was very cool. So that was kind of the neat. You know, you, you as you walk around west. And you talk to, you know, go into some of these booths, whether it's HII or General Dynamics or, you know, in this case, um, Hewlett Packard, you see some really neat technology and you talk to some people that are working on some cutting edge things, not just for the military, but also for uh, other applications that are outside the military. You say, wow, that's that's kind of cool. Yep. And then we right after that, I mean, we were it was right on to to lunch in the town hall. Right? Am I am I missing anything? It's been no, five I, days ago. Yeah, well, like I, a little break. Yeah. So I got to moderate the last panel, last big panel discussion. Sorry, not moderate. I got to introduce the moderator, uh, Admiral Manazer, uh, former OpDev. Okay, N9. that's right. Yes, yep. So yes. that last panel was uh, a panel about. Um, integrating technology and getting technology into the hands of the user as fast as possible. How, how do program managers uh, embrace new technology and then infuse it into a, uh, a, a program as quickly as possible so that it's not seven years from now, you might have this great new widget. It's seven weeks from now, or maybe even faster, we're going to update this piece of software in the F-35, or we're going to, uh, you know, we're going to do a spiral development on the software, on the sonar for the Virginia uh, class submarines. The next time your submarine comes back into port, we'll load this thing up. So uh, I don't remember all the members of the panel uh, from the Marines, Marine Corps side was a uh, General Wartman, who was on an earlier panel last week as well. Wartman is the head of uh, the Marine Corps uh, 
uh, warfighting laboratory down at Quantico. He's also the deputy commander or deputy director of the Naval Research. Uh, we had Admiral Jay Donnelly, retired, uh, former sub-4 commander. Uh, we had uh, Admiral Matt Winter, who's the head of the F-35 program, so the largest DOD program in Yeah, he's in P-E-O-J-S-F. P-E-O-J-S-F, right. Um, and we may have him as a guest on the podcast next week, just uh, for, for our listeners. That'll be a great conversation. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, so a, a number of people from a, v- a variety of different programs. Uh, Mr. Bill Bray, who's the Assistant Secretary of the Navy for RDT&A, Research Development Te- Te- Technology and Acquisition. Uh, so he's like uh, one of the guys that works for Gertz. So Gertz was a keynote speaker on Thursday, and Bill Bray was a member of this panel, and Bray works for uh, Gertz. So they were all talking, and it was, from my perspective, it was very uh, encouraging to see all of them talking about speed to fleet and and realizing that, hey, the, the, um, uh, the historic model of U.S. acquisitions where it can take, you know, years uh, sometimes decades to get a new technology or a new widget or a new weapon system into the fleet. They all recognize that, you know, right now we've got adversaries that are doing it much faster. And so we've got to be faster, right? So uh, Ever Winters talked about that uh, for the F-35 and how they're constantly updating the software and new patches. And he said, you know, think of it uh, not as getting a new airplane, but as getting, uh, you know, downloading a new version of an app to your iPhone. Uh, and Admiral um, uh, Donnelly is in a uh, position at, at Huntington Ingalls that they just created, which is like chief technology officer or advanced technology officer for Huntington Ingalls because they are thinking as a company about how to do this. What are the technologies that we need that are cutting edge? How do we get them and bring them into our product suite as fast as possible and then get get them to the customer as fast as possible. So uh, that was a great panel. I, I enjoyed it. There were great questions from the audience. Uh, all, you know, four members or five members of the panel all had really interesting, you know, you know stories, uh, not of things that are to come, but of things that they're doing right now to make this happen. Yeah, that was really eclectic. I think of all the panels that we were part of, that was the most eclectic one. Um, across the, the, the four uh, participants, uh, including uh, Admiral Manazar, who was a, a Tomcat guy and uh, now now works for Boeing. And then we went in, into the lunch, uh, the, the, and uh, we did our last day of our enlisted superior performers. Yep. This was Marine. Marine heavy on this yep. day. So uh, how'd that go, Paul? Yeah, good. Um, like you said, heavily Marine. Uh, we had Coast Guard sector folks there too. And then USS Key West who happened to be their station in Guam, but they're in for a, for a refit availability um, while they're here. So it was good. Um, didn't get a chance to huddle them afterwards and give the uh, I brief because immediately, you know, that was the benefit of having the Commandant and the Sergeant Major of the Marine Corps and Mick Pond, CNO and uh, Vice Commandant of the Coast Guard and the Deputy McPog were all there. So um, those Coast Guardsmen, those Marines, uh, and those sailors, you know, got that opportunity to meet with that leadership. So, um, so, and that was after the fact. So during the town hall itself, and this is before the Q and A. Um, but what what did we what did we get from anybody's comments? What were the the, the takeaways? Well, I'm I'm a huge fan of uh, General Neller. Yeah. You know, I, I loved his comments last year. Uh, he, he just, uh, he comes across as this uh, quiet, professional, straight shooter. Uh, there's no, 
there's no affect to, to General Neller, right? And uh, so last year, his famous comment was, I think we need more submarines. So for the comment on the Marine Corps to say, hey, we need more submarines, because he was talking about we're going to have to fight to get to this fight, right? Uh, and then this year, the, the quote for me from him was, when was the last time a Marine had to look up, right? He said that, yeah. he says, you know, when was the last time a Marine infantry officer had to look up for anything other than a, you know, a U.S. Uh, uh, asset, airlift yeah. or asset coming yeah. in to provide top cover or to provide logistics or, or airlift for him, right? When, when was the last time they had to worry about a threat from the skies? They didn't, right? Right, and so now uh, that that's a key part of it is you know, and that 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 came from a question that our CEO asked about multi-domain warfare, right? And so the Army right now is, you know, this is the, the buzzword of the week for the Army, I think, is, you know, they're thinking about multi-domain warfare. It's got to be, you know, from the land, sea, sky, air, you know, all threats all the time. And, you know, the Navy really, never really got away from that. However, you know, in fighting in Iraq and Afghanistan, uh, it's been pretty permissive for the Navy to deliver fires, uh, we certainly weren't worried about, uh, you know, an adversary sinking our carrier while it was operating up in CVOA-4 for the last, you know, 15, 18 years. Uh, and for the Marine Corps, you know, definitely in a, in a tough fight with the Taliban or, or with ISIS, uh, wherever they are. But again, those adversaries didn't have an air force. Uh, they didn't have long-range artillery. They didn't have, um, you know, a, a submarine or, or a... Uh, ask them equipped ship that was going to come out and, and, you know, sink the ARG, right? So now it's back to thinking about fighting to get to the fight, about, you know, uh, having um, sea control or sea power denied to you. So uh, General Neller, you know, just talked about thinking through those uh, those challenges, right? And, uh, you know, he also talked about, and then I saw Megan Eckstein uh, put out a USNI News report on this, that the Marine Corps wants to buy long-range anti-ship missiles. They want, they want them, uh, and General Wartman talked about this at West, and General Neller talked about it a little bit. You know, they're thinking about uh, the Marine Corps contribution to the war at sea, which is, in my mind, that's revolutionary. I don't, I don't remember any time in my naval career or, you know, since I retired that the Marine Corps has been thinking that way, right? They, they think about yeah. embarking the amphibs, you know, and then, hey, Navy, get us to the fight. We go ashore and we do what we need to do from the amphibs or from, but in this case, they're talking about long-range anti-ship missiles that they might have to fire from uh, from the amphibs. Or, you know, get them ashore on yep. atolls or get them ashore on the beachhead and then bring that capability uh, to the Navy fight at sea, yep. to, in, the, in the sea control fight. So to me, that was just uh, really revolutionary thinking and, and very uh, encouraging because it shows that, hey, as a team, we are thinking about how you're going to fight in the Baltics. How are you going to fight in the South China Sea? How are you going to, you know, go after this problem in the East China Sea or, or you know, even in uh, the Fifth Fleet AOR, if the Iranian threat becomes you know more significant than it is today, but uh, you know interesting aspect of the the conversation. No, I agree with you. I, I love General Neller's demeanor. Yeah. In those forums, he's he's got a very dry wit as well, uh, humble and uh, but super sharp, and also DC savvy, Pentagon savvy, but in a way that's not buzzword salads and some of the other stuff that's a little bit put offish it's you know he never loses his uh you know basic marine uh sort of demeanor and and he said two things that uh i thought were pretty good quotes first he said that he's tired of learning by losing 
thought that was an interesting comment. He's talking about via, you know doctrine and procurement decisions and you know all the things. Uh, I thought that was a real sort of candid statement that he made. And, and then he did a fist bump with the CNO yes. over the fact that he's about to do to have to do budget testimony for the last, last time. time. You know, right. so I thought that was really really very cool. And when that ended, when that lunch ended, uh, the next thing uh, on the agenda was the D.A.R.E. outbrief. And so D.A.R.E., we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Uh, so three years ago, we started this program that runs concurrent with West. It's sort of part of West. Uh, we get uh, a, a group of young uh, enlisted and officers and civilians uh, in a room. Uh, and the service chief, uh, the, two years ago, it was the CNO. Last year, it was the Commandant of the Marine Corps. This year, it was the Commandant of the Coast Guard asks two questions uh, of the group, and then they cogitate, uh, brainstorm, throw stuff at a whiteboard for a day and a half, uh, come up with some ideas. And, and they're questions that that the service chief has been a, having a hard time figuring out what to do, right? These are sort of vexing long-term, how do I, how do I fix this? How do I make it better? Uh, so this year, the question, and then there's an, uh, you know, a brief back to the Coast Guard Commandant. In this case, it was the Vice Commandant because the Commandant, Admiral Schultz, was diverted from West at the last minute and uh, Vice Commandant Ray uh, sat in for him. He was great. Uh, but the so these young folks in this room get to, you know, brief the, the uh, service chief on their uh, vexing questions. Uh, and so this year, the questions were from, uh, from the Commandant were, uh, the first one was about retention, not just about hitting numbers, but about retaining the best of the best. Like how, how is the coast, is the Coast Guard, uh, you know, is it, is it um, positioned in ways we have the programs in place and the incentives in the right place to keep the very best of the people that we want to keep? Um, and then the second question had to do with trust and micromanagement and the culture of, uh, uh, you know, do, do, are we, are we having uh, in the Coast Guard a, a culture of trust or are we getting sort of this, you know, hey, I don't really trust my the folks below me, so I'm going to micromanagement, micromanage them. I'm going to reach down with the 8,000-mile screwdriver and make sure that the cutter, the, you know, the, the, the Coast Guard cutter uh, CEO, whether even, even if it's a chief, you know, that, that they're complying with all the rules and regulations. And, you know, we've talked about that a lot on this uh, on this program. Uh, so those were the two questions. And the uh, the first question that the briefer was, the main briefer was uh, a Coast Guard Lieutenant Commander, who's currently a White House fellow. She was very impressive, gave a great brief. Uh, and then the second briefer, uh, the second uh, question about uh, trust and culture uh, was a, a Navy Petty Officer, fire control technician from one of the Aegis uh, ships in uh, in San Diego, uh, seven years in the Navy, you know, and a fire control tech uh, is not somebody who's, you know, schooled in how to stand up and give a brief to a four-star officer like on the spot. And she nailed it. Uh, this petty officer, you, uh, and she was just fantastic. Uh, she, you know, stood up here, you know, sir, here, I, you know, this is, these are the main ideas. This is the question that was asked. Here's our thinking around that question. You know, flip the slide. Here's the, you know, the, the big things that we came away for, with, from with it. This is how we thought about the problem. This is how we would you know, a hashtag uh, campaign that we would, you know, recommend. Anyway, that was really powerful to watch, you know, young Petty Officer and, and Admiral Roy, you know, he was, you could see that he was like, 
blown away. He's like, wow, you're something, aren't you? <laughs> and it was just terrific. So, uh, you know, and that that was very similar to last year's outbrief. Two years ago, I wasn't there, but but last year we had a Navy JG and a young uh, Marine captain, you know, briefing Commandant Neller on his uh, vexing problems. Uh, and they also hit it out of the park. So that's just exciting to watch, you know, this group of people, they, they spend some time noodling on a problem or a couple of problems, and then they provide some real actionable, you could do this right now, make some changes in retention, make some changes in uh, culture. Uh, and, and you know, the uh, uh, particularly for the second question was about, you know, the, how do you how do you create the, a culture so that you're not getting micromanagement and you're building to uh, a, a, a culture of trust in the Coast Guard, right? And so she used this, Pedro uh, you briefed this um, analogy about being in a gym and weightlifting, right? And how when you're doing weight training, you know, you can do low low weights and do, you know, 10 reps and you're not never going to get to the point where you fail, right? And, uh, and your spotter doesn't have to do anything, right? Um, but if you really want to figure out where you're, true strengths are uh, and and get to the next level, you got to put a lot of weight on and you got to push yourself to failure. Uh, and failure's got to be okay, right? In order to grow in the in the weight room, you, you have to expect that you're going to fail. You know, this week you start out with 150 pounds on the bench press and, and until you fail at 150 pounds, you're never going to get to 160. Uh, and she was saying, you know, this group was saying the proper role of the immediate superior in command, right, in the chain of command is to be the spotter, right? And to recognize that, hey, th this team is going to fail. I'm going to put them through a really hard training exercise and I want them to fail. I want them to figure out where their failure points are. Uh, and I'm going to be the spotter. I'm going to be the person who steps in, not to micromanage them, but to say, okay, all right, time out, time, time for this exercise to be over, right? Uh, and what did you learn from this? Debrief, step back, get some recovery time, and then come at it again, you know, a day later, a week later. But it was a really powerful analogy, and I'm not doing it justice, but to see this young petty officer step up in front of the vice commander of the Coast Guard, who she'd never met before, and just, you know, knock it out of the park. Um, and that was his impression, not not just my impression. It was just really powerful. So that's yeah. that, that was a fun Yeah, one. that D.A.R.E. program is very cool. So um, good job for our resident fellow, um, Josh, Josh Taylor. Taylor, Commander right. Josh Taylor. He did right. a great job running that whole thing. Um, so I guess next year we'll be back to, back to a questioner from CNO. Right. Yeah. Um, so uh, if you're out there and you're uh, interested in our resident fellow program, because it's a one-year program, um, you know, let us know. And, and also if you want to be on the D.A.R.E. panel uh, going forward, um, you know, inquire uh, at uh, the usual places at the USNI. Any one of us can, can yeah. run those questions to ground for you. All right. So – what were our overall thoughts of the time at Dare, Paul? What What are your takeaways at Dare or at West? No, no, I'm sorry, I met West. So yeah. once again, uh, I think I said early on. So definitely, you know, when I look across all those panels that I was able to attend, um, everyone, uh, you know, the posturing and the focus towards what's to come, and the you know the adversary set is there. It's been there for several years now, but people are talking about it. Um, I find that reassuring. Now let's see. Okay, let's deliver. Um, I think uh, overall, so all so, the strategic leaders are saying the things I need them to say to set the conditions, right, to move the organizations where they need to go. Now, can they overcome the bureaucratic inertia fast enough? That's left to be seen. 
Um, I love the dare stuff, right? You know, those are great things. There's ripe. I mean, that makes me happy just to hear several things. I could go six different directions with that. You know, you want to talk about trust. Meanwhile, I got a press that's kind of pressurizing the top leadership. You know what I mean? And that drives pressure down the organization. So I, you know, we got to talk about that at some point, you know, it's too long today to talk about. And then, uh, but overall, I thought it was great. It was good to see it from the inside for me this time last year. I was there as, you know, as Fleet Master Chief from Fleet Forces and got to see it from the outside. So I will follow up with uh, senior enlisted leaders out there, get some feedback. I see great opportunity, like I said, for some uh, panels, um, you know, working some enlisted presence in the panels. Yeah, we got we to gotta make that deeper yep. and wider. Great. I mean, you, did, you took it orders of magnitude over what we'd done the year before, but there's so much more to do there. Yep. You know, and. What I enjoy is just talking to those folks as they're queued up to go yeah. into the lunch. Just ask them some basic questions, and they're sort of wide-eyed because you know this is the first time they've been to West, yep. and in some cases they don't quite know what it is they've said okay to. Um, you know, just following what their command rep has told them yep. to do, and so we want to we want to to like actually engage those folks in a in a greater way, and we will going forward. Yep. How about you, Bill? Yeah, I would say, I mean, the topic was uh, pure competition. It was the national defense strategy. It's are we ready to be more lethal, right? And and all the leaders, as Paul said, are uh, very much on task. They're thinking about lethality. They're thinking about the, the peer competitors. Some some are calling them near peer. I would say peer competitors. Uh, they're, they're thinking about, you know, fast to the fleet. How do we get capability? that we need right now into the hands of uh, sailors and Marines? Uh, and then how do we build the force for five, 10 years from now that's going to be a dominant force uh, that, that will deter any adversary and make any adversary think, yep, this is not the day that I want to pick a fight with the United States. Uh, and so uh, from Gertz to uh, Modley to the CNO to the Commandant, et cetera, you know, it was hearing that, that theme come through all of them and they were all talking about moving quickly now so it was exciting as many of our listeners know the naval institute is a nonprofit, and much of our operations rely on the generous contributions of our members and donors in december we publicly launched our comprehensive campaign the power to inform convene and inspire in fact if you were at west you may have seen some of our uh, new banners and other things talking about this comprehensive campaign Gifts made to the campaign will help us continue the fight for independent thought and ensure the lessons of the past are not forgotten. The centerpiece of the campaign is the Jack C. Taylor Conference Center, the future physical flagship of the Institute. The state-of-the-art conference center will be built on the Naval Academy campus right next to our headquarters at Beach Hall. It will expand the open forum and give us more of a live touch with our membership. To get a sneak peek of the conference center and learn more about the campaign, check out our microsite at campaign.usni.org. So that wraps up this episode of the Proceedings Podcast. We have been to West. We uh, conquered West, and now we're back, and we'll be talking with some authors from the March issue of Proceedings, a few other upcoming guests uh, in the coming weeks. Emma Winter, as and we said. Emma Winter, the JSF program, program manager. Yeah, and tomorrow uh, with E.T. 2 Fisher. Oh, yeah. Tee so, that one up, Paul. Yeah, What's so tomorrow, uh, E.T. 2 Fisher. Uh, wasn't published in Proceedings, but had a couple opinion pieces in Navy Times, um, brand X, pretty, as we call it. Yes, brand X. Yes. <laughs> no, we love that's time. that's part of my new, you know, my indoctrination to the podcast. Um, but critical of some things, right? That I think uh, it's just not him, right? We just had an article at War with Peace that was written up from the deck place from a first class petty officer. So some similar themes going through there. So 
I got a hold of him and said, hey, um, I think we should explore this more. Talk yep. about some of this culture, this trust, you know, kind of things too. So I think he gets at some of that. Um, so I'm looking forward to having that discussion at uh, 0800 yeah, that's gonna be great. Time So tomorrow. we're walking the walk on what we were saying. This is everybody's forum. Yep. This is not an officer forum. It's not a retired naval officer forum. It's This is a naval forum, the forum of the sea services. Yep. So this a particular conversation tomorrow is going to be uh, very much in line with uh, what we're talking about here. Yep. I'm, I'm really excited to, to, to engage. All right. Well, that wraps up uh, this episode of the podcast. Uh, join us tomorrow for ET2 Fisher uh, and next week for uh, more exciting content. And uh, check us out online. Our new website will go live over the weekend. So that's exciting as well. Oh, so, yeah. That, it's incredible. That's it's another be, incredible it's thing. Be a, lot a, of, a lot of good things going on. Lots of good stuff. 21st happening century. Here. Here 21st we come. century. That's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> okay. Well, victory begins for the Naval Institute. We'll see you here next week. Mm-hmm.